0: You're listening to the weekly sermon of Huntersville Presbyterian Church. We're so glad that you're here and hope that through listening to God's word, you will come away refreshed and renewed for what life has to bring you this week. Here's this week's sermon. So every time I sit down and start working on a message, uh, one of the things I try to do, one of my goals is to come up with one idea, one, you know, one truth, one big idea that I hope that you will remember and that you'll... Take home with you, kind of one big idea that you can what what I pray is that it's something that you can put into practice in your life each week. And some weeks that comes easier than it does other weeks, but that's sort of my goal every time I sit down to start working on a message. So let me go ahead and take it. Here's the big idea for today. Here's what I hope you'll take home with you. What I believe about the future determines how I live in the present. Does that make sense? What I believe about the future determines how I live in the present. In fact, say that with me. Is it on the screen? Yeah. Uh, what I believe, I have no idea what up there. Ready? One, two, three. What I believe about the future determines how I live in the present. For instance, if I imagine that the future is going to be kind of disappointing, not much to look forward to, then what I tend to do today in the present is kind of grumble and complain, and I talk a lot about how good things were back then. talk a lot about the past. Chances are you know people who do that. But if what I believe about the future is that it is filled with promise and with possibility and that things have the potential to be even better tomorrow than they are today, then what I spend a lot of time doing in the present is planning for that future. And and what I talk about are my dreams and my hope and my aspirations for what's going to happen in the future. What I believe about the future determines how I live today. Now, hold that thought, because we're going to come back to it as as we get into the message. Uh, If you've been with us, you know this year we are working our way through the entire Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and we are at a place in the nation of Israel's history where the nation is now divided into two kingdoms. There's Israel up here in the north and Judah down here in the south, and we we started to look at their stories a little bit last week. Uh, Both kingdoms are led by a succession of, of mostly bad kings. Every once in a while, a good king would pop up. But mostly, they're bad kings, and they just keep leading both the people in Israel and the people down here in Judah. They lead them further and further away from God. And things just get worse and worse. Eventually, both kingdoms are going to fall, and the people are going to be carried off, both the people in Israel and the people down in Judah. They're all going to get carried off into exile. But as all that is playing out, along the way, along with this succession of kings, God would raise up prophets. People like Joel and and Amos and Micah. And there'd be prophets in Israel and prophets down in Judah. And they would bring uh, words of warning and words of judgment from God telling the people about what he's about to do because of their disobedience, because of the way that they keep getting just further and further from, from God's ways. And today and, and next week, we're going to look at one of the more significant of those prophets, uh, one that is prophesying, uh, coming to, before the kings down in Judah, down in the southern kingdom, a guy named Jeremiah who is going to bring words of warning and, and judgment, but he's also going to bring words of hope. And, and that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to be looking at a lot of passages from Jeremiah. We're going to settle into chapter 23. You know, I love it when you follow along with me, so grab a Bible there. There's some of the uh, racks in front of you, or maybe you have one with you. We're going to be in Jeremiah 23. We're going to look at a bunch of passages in Jeremiah, but then we'll settle in chapter 23. You know, when we, we finally get to the New Testament, we're just kind of look ahead. July, uh, July 16th, uh, we're going to move into the New Testament. And uh, we're going to have Christmas in July, so you want to look forward to that. We're going to sing Christmas carols. We will be a real fun Sunday. Um, but when we get into the New Testament, we're going to find that Jesus either quoted or referenced Jeremiah more than any Old Testament prophet. The, the words that Jeremiah is speaking, they were timeless then, and they're still timeless today. These, these are words of warning and judgment and hope for us today. Uh, Jeremiah, he shows up toward the end of the nation. Judah's about to collapse. They're they're about to be defeated by the armies of Babylon and carried off into exile. Things have gotten really, really bad. And in fact, the book of Jeremiah is 52 chapters of nothing but gloom, despair, and agony on me. Uh, Jeremiah is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet, because it is just 52 chapters of doom and gloom and harsh judgment and horrifying images. For example, this is from chapter 15. God says through Jeremiah, I will make their widows more numerous than the sand of the sea. There's a happy thought. At midday, I will bring a destroyer against the mothers of their young men. Suddenly, I will bring down on them anguish and terror. Or or this is from chapter 21. God says, I will punish you as your deeds deserve declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in your forest that will consume everything around you. And some of that judgment is directed for all of the people, for for the entire nation. Some of the judgment was directed specifically at the kings of Judah, kings who had imagined that all of their political maneuvering and all of their military might and strategy and alliances, that all that was somehow going to save them. So in chapter 21 again, uh, God says, tell Zedekiah, Zedekiah is gonna be the last king of Judah. God says, tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you were using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside this city, and I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, in furious anger and in great wrath. Harsh words. And God had used that same sort of language for the kings that preceded Zedekiah, uh, destined to face the same na- faith as the nation. It's from chapter 22. God says, as surely as I live, even you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Even if you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would pull you off. A a signet ring for a king was a a symbol of of their, uh, as an instrument really of their authority, as the way they exercise their authority. And then rejecting, God's saying, I'm going to reject you like a ring. I'll just take you off, throw you away. I'm rejecting these kings over the people of Israel. God continues, he says, I'll deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you. Those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Babylonians. I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you will both die, and you will never come back to the land you long to return to. I mean, those are harsh words, aren't they? In the very next verse, God says, you will be like this. You will be a despised, broken pot, an object that nobody wants. Not real hopeful language, is it? But Jeremiah is filled with this 52 chapters. Every page of the book is filled with this sort of judgment. Over the people's disobedience. Now, listen, whenever we read God's words of judgment, and those of you who are reading through the entire Bible, uh, a bunch of us are reading, we're, we're reading through the whole Bible, Genesis, through Revelation, we don't get to jump to the New Testament in a, uh, next month. We got to wait till October. So we're going to be in Jeremiah and Isaiah and a bunch of other prophets in the coming weeks. And we're going to hear a lot of these words of judgment. Whenever you read God's words of judgment in the Old Testament, you have to remember two things. First, you have to remember Remember, the judgment is always a consequence. It's the result of the people's disobedience. God's judgment, his wrath, is never arbitrary. It's not just God woke up in a bad mood one day like I do. It's always the consequence. It's always a result of the people's disobedience. God made a covenant with them, and they broke the covenant. And and God had warned them, if you break the covenant, here's what's going to happen to you. God God had given them clear instructions on how to live in a relationship with him and how to live in a relationship with one another, and they just ignored those clear instructions over and over again. And so the judgment that they face, as we read through prophets, when, when you find these words of warning and judgment, it is always a direct result, it's a consequence of the people's disobedience. But here's the second thing you have to remember. Within the judgment, there is always hope. God never judges without also offering a word of hope. And even in these 52 chapters of doom and gloom, you find words of hope. Sometimes it's just almost a whisper. Uh, For instance, uh, you hear it in chapter 4. It's an invitation to come home. God says, if you, Israel, will return then return to me. In chapter 6, he says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and then, then you will find rest for your souls. God always gives a word of hope. See, you and I, we are hope-shaped creatures. That, that's who we are. We, we, are, we are designed got to kind of run on hope. And, and when you have hope, not wishful thinking, but when you have hope, real hope, what, what I've discovered in my own life, seen and lived out in so many other lives, when you have hope, you can endure anything. A- a- absolutely anything. When you have hope for the future, it will change the way you live today. What we believe about the future determines how we live in the present and so the challenge for you for you and for me is, is to learn to live with hope because if you believe that the future you're just going to end up a broken piece of pottery thrown on a trash heap i mean you might as well give up right i mean what's the point in going on if that's all the future holds but if you believe that the future is filled with promise and possibility then you will hang in there. You'll hold on. No matter what you may be facing. You know, at times, you ever had someone do this, or you may have said this to somebody, or had someone say to you, you know, you're going through a tough time, and they'll just say, hey, just hang in there. Come on, you got this. You know, just, just hold on. Just just hang in there. In the New Testament, the word was hupomone. It just it meant just hang in there. Just hang in there. It's a great word of encouragement. We need to hear those words, and we need to share those words with one another. But without hope, it's just a cliche. Without real hope, not wishful thinking, but without real hope, they're just words. that They don't mean anything. Without hope, we grow tired and we just give up. Without hope, we begin to believe that the future's not going to be any better. And so we spend all our time in the present just complaining and grumbling and looking back to how good things used to be. With hope, again, with hope, people can face and endure anything, anything that might be going on. And that's why, and and this is true for all the prophets, but in, in the words of Jeremiah, in the midst of all these words of gloom, despair, and agony, all of this judgment and warning, God offers these words of hope. And again, sometimes it's just a whisper, an invitation to come home. But sometimes God shouts the hope really loudly. And make sure that we don't miss it. And that's what we find in chapter 23. So if you've got a Bible with you and open to chapter 23, we're going to read these, uh, dig into these verses just a little bit together. The first eight verses of chapter 23. It begins with a little more judgment. God says, I got to sit down for this one. God says, woe to the shepherds. And that's the kings. The shepherds would be the kings. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock, you've been leading them away from me, leading them to, to disobey, leading them in the wrong direction. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. God's judgment is always a direct result as a consequence of our disobedience. But, here, here comes the hope, But God says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I'll place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And then the hope gets even stronger. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Anyone who want to guess who the righteous Savior who will rise up from the line of David might be? There you go, good. And you yelled it loud, too, because the answer is always Jesus when uh, you get to this. Jesus. God said, the days are coming. The days are coming. When people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, instead they'll say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. And then they will live in their own land. Here's our hope. One day, one day, Jesus will gather us to himself, fulfill all his promises, and make everything new. One day, one day, Jesus will gather us to himself, fulfill all of his promises, and make everything new. And that's why we have hope. This passage, chapter 23, it's just filled with these amazing promises. Look at what it says. It says, one day God's going to gather us to himself. You know, on one occasion, Jesus was teaching about what the kingdom of God was going to look like. Uh, and, And I love this image. It's one of my favorite images that Jesus used. Jesus says, listen, in the kingdom of God, one day people are going to gather from east and west and north and south. And they're going to take their place at a feast in the kingdom of God. Every time I read that, I think about going to family reunions at my grandma's house. Uh, my grandmother, Mama May, and uh, I love my Mama May, and um, my, she, uh, she had 11 kids, and uh, my dad was one of 11 kids, and every year, Neil knows where this is, every year we'd gather at Mama May's house in Great Falls, South Carolina, for this great big family reunion. I mean, we'd literally come from east and west and north and south, and we'd all come for this great big joyous feast at my grandmother's house. And there'd be aunts and uncles and people I'm not sure are really related, but they'd like, you know, third cousins and more, you know, kind of more cousins than you could count. And what was cool, it didn't care who you, where you've been, what you've been doing, who you are, how successful or unsuccessful you might be. It didn't matter what might be going on in your life. I always love to tell people, I, I loved one year, I remember going there, and I had a cousin who was, who was there, and uh, he had just received the rank of admiral in the U.S. Navy. Really big deal. And here's my cousin. I had another cousin there who was glad to be there because he had gotten early release out of prison. And, uh, and, and they're just kind of both sitting at the same table, and nobody cared. Because it didn't matter where you were from or what you'd done or where you'd been. You were there at my grandmother's invitation. You were there because you were part of the family, and it was a feast. It was this joy-filled feast. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like that. It's going to be this joy-filled feast, and it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been, or what's going on in your life. And admirals are going to be there, and guys who just got out of prison are going to be there. And everybody else, and the only thing that's required to come to the feast is you've got to have an invitation from the king. And if you know him, you come and you got this seat at, at the table. I love it. When Jesus was describing it, Jesus said, here's what it's going to look like. Uh, indeed, there are those who are last who are going to be first, and those who are first are going to be last. And that's a great word of encouragement. I if you ever feel like you're always running last or, you know, in fourth place or something like that, and you're just not good enough, Jesus says, you're going to be first. And those you think, you know, just going kind to of imagine you're always going to be first in line. That will be a little bit humbling to you. One day God's going to gather everyone to himself. And and this is what he said in Jeremiah. Look back at 23 in verses 3 and 4. God says, I myself, I'm going to gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where in judgment I have driven them, but I'm going to bring them back to their pasture where they'll be fruitful and they'll increase in number. And I will place shepherds over them who are going to tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified and no one will go missing. You Notice that first person pronoun again and again. God says, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to do this. I'll bring them back to me. I'll gather them to myself. I'll put shepherds over them. Uh, he also promises what that shepherd will be, and you caught it real quick when, when we read it. God says, I'm going to raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, and do what is just and right in the land, and that is, again, if I ever ask a question, just yell Jesus, and neither it sounds like you're prophesying or you have the right answer. Um, uh, here's a reminder here. God is faithful to his promises. You, you just, you, you need, this is good news. This is a reason for hope. God is faithful to every promise that he has made. Generations before, way, way before Jeremiah shows up, God had made this promise to David. God says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And this promise to David, it ultimately gets fulfilled in. Y'all get it. Come on. Um, The good shepherd, the righteous savior from from the branch of David. God's going to keep the promises he's made to you. God's going to keep every promise that he has made to you. And, And just think about some of what he's promised you. He promised that he'll never leave you. And he's never going to forsake you. Uh, he's promised to provide for your every need. He's the good shepherd. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He is the good shepherd. And if the Lord's your shepherd, you shall not want. You get everything you need. He, he's promised to provide for everything that you need. He, he's promised to give you rest. Anybody tired? He promised to give you rest. He's promised you an abundant life. And, and he will be faithful to every promise that he has made. Our God is faithful to his promises. Now, he's also promised that in this world you're going to have trouble. Anybody experiencing that to be true? But he said we're not to be afraid of that because we never have to face that trouble alone, and we can take heart because he's actually overcome the world. And so the trouble in the world is never going to have the last say. God is always going to be faithful to, my pro- to every promise he's made. Maybe my favorite, favorite promise that Jesus made out of all the promises he made it comes from the very last book of the Bible in Revelation. We're going to get to that in December. Uh, but toward the end of December before we actually get to this verse. But toward the very end of the book, Jesus, the good shepherd, he is seated on the throne. I love this. He says, behold, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. And God makes the same promise here in Jeremiah that he'll do something new, a new thing. Look at verse 7. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people are no longer going to say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, instead they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. And then they will live in their own land. And you just have to understand, for the people of Israel, for so much of their history... The defining story of who they were as a nation was this story of the exodus about how god had brought them out of captivity in, uh, through the wilderness and into the promised land brought them out of egypt into the the land that he had promised to abraham isaac and jacob that was the story that they told over and over again that was the story upon which they grounded who they were as a people. And they would talk about, we're the people that God brought out of captivity. And God said, that was great then. And I know that's the way you've been identifying yourself for all these generations, but I'm about to do something new. And in the future, you're not going to talk about the way I brought you up out of captivity in Egypt. You're going to talk about the way I gathered you back to myself after I'd sent you out into all these foreign lands. We're going to do a new thing. And, and that's how you're going to identify yourself. Our God loves to do new things. God's saying, listen, if if you thought bringing you out of Egypt was good, well, just hold on because you haven't seen anything yet. Just wait until you see what I am going to do in the future when I bring you out of the lands where I've I've sent you as part of the judgment for the way you disobeyed because I'm bringing you back. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, and we're going to look at Isaiah in a couple of weeks. Um, Isaiah captured it real poetically, the same same thought. God says to Isaiah, he says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And I'm convinced that God today is still doing new things making ways in the wilderness, dreams in the wasteland. He's still making all things new because he's still faithful to his promises, faithful to every promise that he's made. And one day he's going to gather us all to himself. And that's why we can live in hope that the future is going to be better than the present, better than the past, because of what God has promised that he is going to do. Now, it's easy to say that. And it's easy to say that real casually. And it's easy to sometimes let words like this just kind of become a Christian cliche. You know, hang in there. God's doing a new thing. It's going to be okay. I mean, God, God's doing something new. Just hold on. Future's going to be better than five. I mean, It's easy to kind of make that in, into a cliche. And, and listen, I know... I, I, I don't want to say this casually because I know a lot of people, and chances are some of you right here, right now, today, or somebody you know, who's watching online or, or listening to the podcast later this week. Uh, some of you right now, you're in a wasteland and it's real. I get that. I know, I've been there. And somebody just telling you, oh, just hang in there. God's doing a new thing, future's going to be great. I mean, it's not real helpful, it's just a cliche unless you have hope, not wishful thinking, but real hope. Because when you have hope, uh, when you have hope, everything changes. Last month, I had a, kind of an unexpected, uh, just just sort of worked out in a way, kind of an unexpected pleasure. Get to spend a couple hours one afternoon with one of my very favorite people in the world. She watches sometimes online. So Nora, if you're watching this, is all about you, and uh, but I got to spend a few hours with Nora. And uh, Nora, I was trying to think of a delicate way to say this. And she is uh, sometimes we I, I use a lot of sports analogies. Y'all, y'all know that. I was real good not not to say that uh, your UNCC Charlotte team kicked my baseball team out of the playoffs, but that's okay. And uh, the uh so you know i like sports nor i mean nor in the fourth quarter i mean she may be in the two-minute warning and she, she'd be okay with me saying that and uh yeah you know, she's kind of uh she's she's mature in years and uh, she's had some health issues over the last couple of years and uh, some of them have been kind of tough but anyway we, we just had this unexpected joy of getting to spend a few hours together and we talked about everything we hadn't seen each other in a while and we just caught up what's going on with both of our families and showed pictures and did did all this kind of stuff and um uh, as we talked, and, and again, she's, dealing, she's still dealing with some pretty real health challenges. But at one point in the conversation, she started talking about looking forward to the next life. And, and, and what she shared with me is, it, it was, and I don't know how to describe it to you in, in the right kind of way, but she talked about it with this kind of excitement, like a kid that's looking forward to a birthday party. And I, I remember we were just sitting there and she said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of getting excited to discover what it's going to look like when I get to see Jesus. What it's going to be like when I, when I make it to heaven. And she's sure that she is because of the relationship that she's had with Jesus for, for most of her life. She talked about the next life like someone who had just received an invitation to the greatest feast that's ever been thrown. Because she knows that she has received that invitation. She accepted it. And so even though she's got some real health issues going on, she doesn't complain, she doesn't grumble. Spends very little time talking about the past, about how things were. She's looking toward the future. Even though her future is not going to be in this world, it's going to be in the one to come, in the life that is truly life. And she's living today with the kind of peace and joy that can only be found when your hope for tomorrow is in what Jesus Christ has done for you. What she believes about the future, it absolutely is determining how she is living her life today. Because what you believe about the future, it determines how you're gonna live in the present. Listen, I, I, I don't know where you are today. I know where some of you are, because we talk. I, I know some of you are struggling in a marriage right now, and you are ready to give up. And I know that some of you are battling depression, and some of you are battling and you're just kind of ready to give in. And I know that some of you are just so worried and you're so anxious and it is consuming you. And I know that some of you have unanswered prayers and I know how hard that is. But I know that what you believe about tomorrow will determine how you're going to live life today. And if you believe that tomorrow is just going to be a big disappointment, then you're going to live today grumbling and complaining, looking back to how things used to be. But if you believe that tomorrow, that God is going to gather us to himself, and that Jesus is going to be faithful to every promise, That he's going to make all things new? Well, that's what encourages you to hang in there. That's a lot more than wishful thinking. That's hope. That's real hope. Sure and certain confidence in things that we can't see or touch. That's the hope that makes it possible to to hang in there and give God the chance to, to be at work in the marriage. To ask for help because sometimes we need help to overcome addiction or we need help to make our way through depression. To, to keep praying to be that persistent widow that Jesus talked about one time in a parable who just keeps knocking and knocking and knocking at God's door. Confident, not, not in our prayers, but confident in God's faithfulness and love toward us. When, when you have hope for tomorrow, it will absolutely change the way that you live your life today. And I know that because God loves you more than you can begin to imagine, right now, right where you are, I know that you can have hope. Maybe my favorite promise in all the Bible captures that just so beautifully. We've talked about this before. It's written by a tent making missionary named Paul. Paul, I always tell people, Paul hated Christians until he became one. Uh, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome, and I love it. He begins before he writes this, uh, He writes, uh, but he says, "You know, I'm convinced." I always love that word. Paul says, "I'm convinced." I don't think, I don't wonder, I don't. You know, Paul says, "I am convinced. I am absolutely convinced. I'm convinced about what I believe about the future, and it's impacting the way I live today." Paul says, "I am convinced." Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Paul says, I am convinced that none of that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you believe that, then you can have hope that tomorrow is going to be better than today because God's going to gather us to himself and Jesus is going to keep his promises and all things, including you and me. They're they're going to be made new. This is the message of Jeremiah. We're going to look at Jeremiah again next week. But this is the message of Jeremiah. God's in control. Kings and nations. God will uproot and tear down and destroy and judge and send people off into exile. But he has the power to make all things new. And he's going to one day gather us to himself, and that's exactly what he is going to do. And he's going to be faithful to the promises that he has made to you. And whatever you're facing right now, if you believe that for the future, It'll change the way you face it today. So would you pray with me? And let me invite you just to take a moment. And, and here in the quiet of the room, let this just be a quiet moment between you and God. and remember it doesn't matter what you've done where you've been or where you haven't been or what you haven't done god loves you because you're his daughter you're his son fearfully and and wonderfully made and maybe you've been disobedient maybe you've gotten off track and maybe you haven't been living in a right relationship with him or, or with others And and maybe you're even experiencing the consequences of that. God invites you to come home and to come back to him, to return to him, to set your feet back on those ancient paths, the ancient ways that lead to life, that lead to peace and and joy and, and restored souls. And maybe today you feel like you're in a wasteland. Maybe today it feels like you're in the wilderness. It's hard to have hope. And hanging in there, it just feels like empty words. I pray that right now you'd open your heart and let God touch it with his love for you. with with his delight in you. That that you would know just just how deeply, how deeply he he loves you in spite of the ways you've not always gotten things right. And in that love to know that he will draw you to himself, that he'll never leave you, he'll, he'll, he'll never abandon you, He'll gather you into his arms. He's got a seat for you at the banquet table. He'll be faithful to every promise he's ever made. And he can make you new. And he can make you new again. Lord, I pray that for hearts that are open to that touch right now, that you would come in And that by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, Lord, that you would would bring real hope. Hope that that can withstand the wasteland, hope in the, the midst of the wilderness. Hope that will impact the way we live today because our confidence is in what you have promised to do tomorrow. Lord, give us eyes to see the new things that you were doing as they spring up all around us. And help us to daily place our hope in you. Our hope for this world, our, our hope for our nation and community, for our friends, for our family, and even for ourselves. And we lay these prayers before you, praying together the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, Thanks for listening to this sermon from Huntersville Presbyterian Church. Here at HBC, we believe that life is better with Jesus because Jesus makes us better at life. If you're looking for a church to call home, we would love to share his life with you. To learn more about us, or if you'd like to give online, visit HuntersvillePres.org.